This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Welcome, welcome to the DL Link show brought to you by 101.9 High FM. I'm Nikki Seberini. I'm looking so forward to being with you over the next hour. Of course, the DL Link show is where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. And we have the most fantastic show lined up for you today. So just make sure that whatever you're doing in the next hour, you put on hold because you're going to be illuminated by the likes of Dr. John DeMartini. You're going to be informed by an incredible doctor who's going to be talking about um, donations and stem cell therapies. And we have a phenomenal, phenomenal warrior who is also going to be inspiring us and sharing our story. So that is what is coming up uh, in the next hour. So, yes, as I said, don't tune out. Stay tuned and uh, get a piece of pen and paper. There may be a whole lot of information that you're going to want to write down. So a a couple of years ago when I was working on another radio station um, and I interviewed this gentleman, I had already attended a couple of his talks um, and he it was a telephonic interview and I'll never ever forget the words when he said in life when you give something out energetically you need to get something back and I remember it really resonated with me because I kind of lived in a world when it was about doing things for other people and never really expecting people to give something back and I think a lot of us live in this world where the expectation of something back in return is just lacking Um, and it's certainly opened up a whole world and a whole realm that I have been exploring over these last few years. So to have Dr. John DeMartini back in the studio and kind of pick up from where we left off is its what I love about my job. It is a privilege. So, John, welcome. Thank you. It is so lovely to have you on the show. And for those of you who don't know Dr. John DeMartini, he is a performance and behavior specialist. He travels around the world 360 days of the year. He travels. He engages with people. He helps people with their lives. He's written over 40 books. He's a best-selling author. Where you get the time, John? I don't know. In between. In between. In between. But when, when I first had you on my show. I, I loved your story. I always love people's mm-hmm. stories. I mean, you you know, you had a hard time when you first entered this world. So you were putting it in an arm brace and you were in a leg brace and, and that's how you navigated your, your way through life in the early years and having a huge impact because in grade one, a, a teacher told your parents that you would amount to nothing, to nothing. Why? Well, I guess I had learning problems and speech problems. And I couldn't spell and get meaning out of words. And I didn't ever finish school. I never finished high school. I later, when I turned 18, I went back and with very, very special focus, I started to learn how to read. So I didn't read till I was 18, really. And your speech, what was your speech like, John? Well, it was, it was, I, had, I would twist words around, twist letters around, couldn't get meanings out of words. I had mm-hmm. classic dyslexic type symptoms. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, I mean, no one understood, no one knew. This teacher didn't know. She branded you. She just she, kind of, she, did she what, didn't understand. She did what was, was knowledgeable at the time. Mm. In those days, you had to wear a dunce cap. So I'd, uh, I turned that into a wizard's cap later, but, uh, you know. That, you had to wear a dunce cap. Yeah. I mean, it's unheard of. Can you imagine in the world today? It's it's unheard of. Well, that's just what it was. And and I always say that it's never what happens to you. It's what you decide to do with it. Okay. So I was blessed to to be able to take that very thing that I was told, never never read, never write, never communicate, never amount to thing, 
and use that now as the catalyst to do what I do today. So I'm very grateful now. But I it didn't I could meet the lady now. Well, well, I, exactly. And say, look, look at me now. I'm sure she ta- thinks about it all the time. But w- the, what I find interesting is that gap, that space in between from mm-hmm. being the child who's told you're going to amount to nothing, wearing the dunce cap to then going on at the age of 18 and educating yourself and turning it into changing so many people's lives. But during that stage, I mean, I know that at the age of 14, you left home. I know that you were surfing a lot and I know that you had a near death experience. And then you met a man, and that was a catalyst for you. Maybe you can just fill in the gap very quickly for us. I was surfing on the north shore of Oahu, Mm -hmm. and I was riding big waves, and I nearly died from strychnine and cyanide poisoning. And that was primarily from consuming particular plants that I was living off of on on the beaches. And if it wasn't for that one man, one night, with a message, um, I don't think I'd be here. But I, I am, I'm very, very grateful for meeting a gentleman named Paul Bragg who inspired me one night to do what I'm doing to do. He, he's the one that inspired me to believe that I may be able to overcome my learning problems and learn how to read. And I desired to be intelligent, never thought I was going to be. And then I desired to be a teacher because I, at the time, I thought, well, intelligent people were teachers. So mm. I just thought I wanted to be a teacher. And 45 years later, here I am. Wow. And all that from one meeting. One presentation that night changed my life. Steve Jobs' life was impacted by the same man. Jack Lane, the, the Kellogg Company, the people, the founders of the Kellogg Company. I mean, there's about 139 very famous people. Even President Trump was impacted by the same man. Really? All these people were impacted by What did he say that was so enlightening, he, he life-shifting? Said, he, he said that, that deep inside we have something extraordinary to bring to the world. Mm-hmm. And that we are here to set a goal for ourselves, our family, our community, our city, our state, our nation, our world, and beyond for 100, 120 years. Mm-hmm. And he said that we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. And the body must be directed by the mind, and the mind must be guided by the soul in order to maximize human awareness and potential. And if you want to do something extraordinary, you have to go inward and not let the world on the outside interfere with the calling on the inside. And so I just followed his instructions and never gave up on my dream. And and if you stay with something long enough, everybody else kind of dies out and you end up somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you just got to stay with it. Right. And when did you start to think that you could pass it on? I mean, you talk about studying and then becoming a teacher, but when did it occur to you that actually you could go out and you could speak to all sorts of people from all walks of life, travel the world, and, and change their lives? Well, well help them change when I was, their lives. When I was 18, I, I met Paul Bragg a week before my 18th birthday. But just months later, I took a GED and I started to try to go to school and try to learn how to read and I failed at first and if it wasn't for my mother helping me memorize 30 words a day I probably wouldn't have made it but I had to memorize 30 words a day and memorize a dictionary that was the way I kind of overcame my learning and Mm -hmm. slowly pronounced things properly but about probably four months into the schooling there a um a young man came up to me. Well, first, a, 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 an African woman asked me to teach her yoga because I was doing yoga at the time. Yoga. I was doing yoga. So, <laughs> so can you teach me yoga? And I thought, uh, okay, what little I know. And that was my first student. Then I had a Persian gentleman ask me to teach him meditation because I was meditating. So the realization is I will teach you what I know. Whatever I know. Whatever I know, and I will then, teach you. Then I was in a, a Wharton College, and I was in the library studying for a math class. And... 16 students came out and asked if they could join me and study with me. 
and then they, I've, I found out that I was learning as effectively as they were, and I was, I started tutoring them, and that was the beginning of my tutoring. So I was 18 years old when I started my teaching career, and I started tutoring and charging for tutoring, and um, by the time I went to the University of Houston, I used to have 100 to 150 students a day under the trees gathered and have discussions on philosophy and all kinds of things. And then when I went on to professional school, um, I ended up having classes seven days a week, and I just never stopped and she was. just kept growing. Now it's all and I, I love the message, though, that we are all teachers. Well, I believe that we, we all, all have something to share. You know, it's interesting. I met this gentleman who had a Ph.D. who had studied a tiny portion, an infinitesimal portion of another man's life, William James, father of modern psychology. And he got a Ph.D. in a tiny portion of one man's life. Mm. And many people aren't honoring the many Ph.D.s they have in their own life. And mm. I always say that nothing's missing in us. It's just the, in a form that we're not honoring. And there's a magnificence hidden inside our own existence. And if we give ourselves permission to go deeper and probe and discover our magnificence, Mm. we get to share it with the world. Mm. I love that. I really, really do love that. You spoke a little bit earlier about taking a struggle and turning it into something else. Um, And really, we talk a lot about that on the show. We're going to be chatting with our warrior just now. You had lots of struggles. Um, You had this enlightening moment when you met this man and everything shifted for you. It's difficult for people to hear that when they have a struggle and when it could be a life-threatening, life-changing, life-altering, how do you turn a struggle into something that's that's something to be celebrated or these can get positive out of it? Well, just like a magnet, if um, you see one side and don't see the other, Whenever we judge something, mm-hmm. we divide our mind into conscious and unconscious portions. Right. And let's say we're infatuated with somebody. We see this beautiful specimen and we're really attracted to them. And we're perceiving the things that support our values. And we're unaware of the things that will eventually challenge it. So this momentary infatuation is really a blindness to some of the challenges that are coming okay. in a relationship. So we're conscious of the things that support. We're unconscious of the things that, that uh, challenge us. Or things we think are terrible, maybe we resent somebody. We're conscious of the things that challenge us, and we're unconscious of things that support us. But the real truth is that it's just a human being, and they have both sides. If I went up to somebody and I said, you're always nice, you're never mean, you're always kind, you're never cruel, you're always giving, you're never taking, you're always peaceful, you're never wrathful, they would go, eh, not really. Mm. And if I said, you're always mean, you're never nice, you're always cruel, you're never kind, you're always wrathful, never peaceful, you go, no, that's not it. And if I said to them, but sometimes you're peaceful and sometimes you're wrathful and sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, they go, yeah, that's me. We have both sides. Right. And so when we see only one side, it's our own ignorance of both sides. Mm -hmm. And therefore we judge things and split ourselves up. Mm -hmm. And And the same thing in events. All events have both sides. There's things that we can find and extract and find meaning out of it and blessings out of it, like Victor Frankl did. Or we can sit there and concentrate on all the downsides. So I always say we can have an event that we think is terrible initially, and a day, a week, a month, a year, or five years later, we can go back and say, thank you, God, for bringing that. Mm. And so why wait for the wisdom of the ages with the aging process? Why not have the wisdom of the ages without it by asking what's the other side of the, equa- the equation? Everything has two sides. In Buddhism, they said that the desire for that which is unobtainable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable is the source of human suffering. I would say in, in, engulf, and engulf both sides of life. And if you do, every crisis can have a blessing. Every challenge can have an opportunity. And if I, I, I had a boy that came to me one time and he said, he says, you know, I, my mother, um, uh, my father died before I was born and my mother gave me up when I was a child and I'm a, I'm, I'm a kind of an orphan and, you know, and I'm living as a foster. And I said, that's interesting. Do you mind if we go online for a second? 
and I found a list of 700 celebrities in every field that started out exactly that same way. Mm. Sir Isaac Newton and Tycho Bry. I made a list of all the people, Wayne Dyer, mm. and all of them had that same beginning. I said, you're in this category. Mm. And he started crying. He says, no one's ever told me that. Oh. I said, mm. well, no, this is a gift. Mm. This doesn't have to be a challenge. This could mm. be a gift. Mm. You could start and initiate a whole new movement of people that have been through those situations and make a contribution in life and show them that this is a great opportunity. So it's just a matter of changing the way you see it. Well, we, it, it's, it's never what happens to us. It's what our decision. And we have, we have three things we have control, perceptions, decisions, and actions. Mm-hmm. And if we change our perceptions, we change our life because that changes our decisions and our actions so all you did was change his perception where he thought that he was a product of an awful upbringing at huge disadvantage he got to see all people who had the similar upbringing and the great achievements so the perception changed exactly i had a young boy uh well young boy he was in his 20s that seems young now it's young (laughs) for me it's young (laughs) but uh, he was he was 21 years old uh he was given up at birth and was put into a foster situation. <clears throat> and his whole life, he thought he was abandoned and was worthless and, and, and he was angry at his parents and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we went and probed. I, I was, it was given to me as a client to try to help him because he was suicidal. He was depressed. He wasn't participating in school and he was thinking of all the, the downsides. And his mother cared about him. The foster mother really cared about him and wanted to give him the greatest possibility. So what we did is we went probing and did some research. We found out that his mother and father came from an extremely poor area in India in Mumbai, the slums of Mumbai. And they believed that he was special, and they gave him up so he wouldn't die in the slums. Oh, wow. And the moment he found that out, if he cried change, and he oh. realized it was a, he was special. Mm. And as a result of it, he the moment he found out that he was special, he didn't mm. want to let his parents down, and he saw it from a different perspective. And he went on to excel in school Go and be something contributive to the planet. And he wanted to do it, and then he wanted to find his parents if they were still alive. Mm, what a powerful story. The whole thing changed. Everything changed. It is never what happens to us. It's our decision, mm. what we perceive it. Mm. Let's take a break, John. We're going to be right back. Stay with us. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Thank you for staying tuned. This is the DL link show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Well, the studio is being illuminated by Dr. John DeMartini. Um, lovely, lovely having you on the show, John. And just before the break, what a story about the perception, this young boy who had been given up. And then he, once he heard the backstory of his parents actually doing it because they wanted him out of the slums of India and that he was special and that he spent all this time, his future, living up to that expectation. He, just a, he, he a actually, click, a switch in perception. He actually used to just n- gnaw and eat tips of his fingers and he just he had this anxiety disorder the moment he found out that he was gifted and special like that that stopped our physiology i really no one really knows the limitations of our own psychology on physiology we just as the power that made the body also has the power to heal the body mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just if we have the capacity to create illness we have the capacity to create wellness mm-hmm. And I still believe that gratitude, love, certainty, and presence are still the far, four cardinal pillars of great healing. The greatest healers that I've observed as I've traveled the world and met that have extraordinary outcomes with people have those four things in common. They're grateful for what they get to do. They love what they do. They feel certain about the results. And they're present with the, the, the client or the patient. And when they have that, there's a, there's a power. 
There's a, there's a releasing and, a, and, a, and a, 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 an honoring of that state within the patient also. Mm. And the real power in healing is within the person. Mm. You know, we, we go around and label ourselves healer, but really the power that is within us, that's where the healing is. So this is interesting, and I'm so glad that you brought this up because on this show we talk about this. We have warriors who come on who go for treatment and how they shift their mind, the way they think. It's so many things, and you see so many recoveries, but I'm always so careful to talk about it because what about those people who are suffering, John, who are dying, who feel that they're feeling the love and they're feeling the gratitude and they're in the present and they're trying to do all of those things, but they're losing their battle. And what do you say to them? Are they being punished? Are they not strong enough? What do you say? Because you yourself have, you've, you've lost your wife to cancer, so you've yes. been there. Well, you know, my wife, um, I always say, our, and, I, and this is going to be probably controversial to mm-hmm. some people, but I've been blessed to do this on about 18,000 people, so right. I think i got some pretty good credentials on it. We, we fear death because we're holding on to either fantasies about life, things we're proud of that we haven't found downsides to, or, or, or the things that we're attached to. And, and we're all going to pass. Mm-hmm. The fact is we're all going to pass. That's it. It's just a matter of when. Right. And we have to honor both sides, life and passing. To really appreciate our own existence. Uh, if we, if we, in fact, some of the greatest things that occur in the world come from having the reality that we have also passing in life. But I think that some people have genetic involvement and some people have uh, environmental factors and mm-hmm. then there's also psychology. Mm-hmm. We have to go use the psychology to its maximum capacity, but we have to also honor the reality that there's sometimes constraints that we don't have the ability to override psychologically. So those things we can do, we, we take command of. And those things we can't do, we honor and we appreciate. We find out how we use it to our greatest advantage. When my wife was ready to pass, she reached a point. At first, there was a resistance. Mm-hmm. Then she reached a point. Okay, so I'm now going to go through and make sure I've made a, con- a connection with everybody that's ever made a difference in my life. I've asked probably, oh, maybe 40,000 people if they had 24 hours to live, what would they do with their life? Mm-hmm. And every single case. They would say, I'd go to the people who've made the biggest contribution in my life, the people I love and care about, and say, thank you, I love you. And I still think that that can be a catalyst. Whether people make it or don't in health, um, that is still a wise thing for healing process, mm-hmm. to go to the people who've contributed to your life and say, thank you, I love you. Because that's what many illnesses do. They bring it out of us to go and appreciate our life and to love people. Mm-hmm. And if it teaches us that, that's a great contribution. We so, may as well so honor that part of it, right? So, what I think I'm hearing you saying is that sometimes you are going to be able to fight it, and sometimes you're not. It's an acceptance of it because death is inevitable. Well, I, I, I'm I'm going to change the construct of fighting. So okay. I'm gonna, you know, in, at one time in the during the earlier part of the 20th century, the germ theory was a was the main theory. Right. The germs cause illness. Today, with a deeper understanding, since about the 70s. Uh, the ecosystem and the microbiome of the body is more like a wildlife management system instead of a kill the germs. It's about regulating the germs because we depend on the germs, the, vi- the bacteria and the virus. We depend on them for our immune system and for our physiology, for our absorption and nutrition and everything else. So instead of attacking, I don't like the idea of attacking the disease. Okay. I like to think of it as we're working with our physiology and maximizing our physiology for the sake of maximizing our wellness. Mm-hmm. So I instead like of that. attacking disease, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like that idea. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a learning how to bring it into homeostasis and learning how to work with the body instead of a seeing it as something outside. Because that automatically puts us in a defense mode and runs our immune system down and puts us in a defense. 
instead of okay, we're going to work with our body. We're going to. I, I know. Is that just a mind? Is that again a perception? Is that a mindset? It's a mindset because, because when you think about chemotherapy, when you think about the treatments that are out there, you're killing it. That's the whole thing. We're attacking this cancer. We're killing this cancer. But you're saying that in your mind, having the perception of we're 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 regulating physiology. Okay. You know, inside your body, you have what they call mitosis, which mm-hmm. is pre-programmed cell growth and development, and you have apoptosis, pre-programmed cell death. Building and destroying and remodeling and neuroplasticity in the brain and uh, osteoplasticity in bone, the body is constantly remodeling itself and building and destroying and right. birthing and dying. Mm-hmm. So if, it, if it, we have to have that, it's it's fifty fifty going on and it's remodeling and that's what metabolism's about. Mm-hmm. So to consider that cells dying is bad and cells birthing is good and is really misunderstanding that it's remodeling itself. Okay. And so I like to think of holding the image of the wholeness and honoring the two sides of birthing and dying and building and destroying and, and the, the normal ecosystem. It's, it's like in a wild we have uh, predators and prey. And if we say that predators are bad, then we're missing out on the predator is also mm. a prey. <laughs> they're, mm. they're, they're, they're neither good nor evil in it. Right. It's, it's just understanding how it works. I think that's a, a wise thing to do and understand and appreciate your body as it's working. I don't like to think of chemotherapy as attacking cancer cells. Mm-hmm. I think what it's doing is bringing homeostasis into Back. physiology. Okay. Because apoptosis has gone, has, has been deficient and mitosis has been going too much. So it's bringing it back into balance. Instead of attacking, I see it as bringing in homeostasis mm. for maximizing wellness. Mm. I love that. I, I keep saying I love that every time you say something. I find myself saying it because, it's, as you say, it's the perception. It's one little idea, and all of a sudden something shifts. It feels like a peaceful um, um, a, a peaceful healing as opposed to, as you say, this, this attacking, because it is all happening in your own body. Yeah, I had a lady who, was, who had uh, uterine cancer. And they removed uh, the ovaries and they took out the uterus and it had migrated and, and metastasized to different parts of the body. And um, she went in there and she said, she looked at there and she went through her life and she realized that she had shut down her sexuality with her, her husband for many years. And that reestablished at that time. She was bitter and angry because the work she was doing, they weren't appreciating her. It, it, what, what that did is it went through and, and inventoried all the things of her life and helped her clear up all the things that were incomplete. Mm. When, when they did the chemotherapy and they had to do a little bit of radiation therapy on a few low side and when it metastasized to the small intestine and liver, they had a successful treatment, a very successful treatment. And the nurses there they have a bet when the person come in. I know this is going to sound outrageous, but they sometimes have a bet by the attitude when they go in there, which ones are going to make it or not. And they, they see, as the nurses, the they nurses, can, they actually start to identify. They can see who's going to make it because by they their can attitude. they can tell from the attitude. Yeah. That's if they attitude. have a, if they see it as as they're attacking it and fighting in it, and it's this and it's a battle and it's and they were wanting to give up and things like that. They don't do as well as if they're going in there and says, okay, this is my next challenge. I've been through many challenges in life. What's my mission? How is this serving my mission? How am I going to use this on my way instead of in my way? And what am I going to do with this? And what am I going to do beyond this? And they hold a vision beyond that. If you have a vision beyond it, you'll get beyond this challenge. Hmm. That's a very important component. Hmm. And so they used to see the ones that did it and would try to help them see beyond it. And the ones that did, they, they, they came through it. And the, and the doctors would be mechanical in their approach, but the ones that understood this understood the psychology. And that's, I think, a big component of the, of the healing arts. Hmm. Let's take a break. Thanks, John. This is Lifelinks with a DL link. 
Good afternoon to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Nikki Seberini. You're listening to 101.9 High FM, and this is the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Um, it's wonderful to have Dr. John Demartini in the studio. Um, he is in South Africa. He travels the world, and um, we we he visits South Africa. Is it once a year? Yeah, John. I'm actually here four times, sometimes five four, times a wow. year. Well, you love South Africa. I'm here. I've been here 13 years. Heal us. We need lots of healing. And you do, you do talks and then you do these breakthroughs and you just, every time you come here, you're shifting and just changing the perceptions and changing people. So to have you on the DL Link show is wonderful because we talk about cancer and we have cancer worries and we talk about treatment. And you've brought so many interesting ideas into this conversation. So I would like to welcome our warrior because he's been sitting in the studio and he's been listening um, because just this year he was diagnosed with a very rare cancer. And I, I'd like to put him up against what you're saying, see how he feels about that. So Malcolm Henderson. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. So lovely to have you in the studio. It's good to be here. The GPS had me running around, but... You found I us found eventually. It. I you found you it. honed in. And I'm looking, I'm staring into these beautiful blue eyes. You're a model and yes. you, you also, you're a brand ambassador and you've got all these amazing things happening in your life, enjoying life. And then you get diagnosed in January. Can you believe it? How crazy is that? How crazy is that? So if and I you're can so say, young. You're so, how old are you? 24 years old. You are young. So if I can say I was home for two months, that was a long time. Traveling, doing shows, just living a rock star life, mm. if you think about it. And got ill and unfortunately was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, which is a cancer in the blood. And had to go to hospital the next day, really. And I agree with everything that the doctor said. It was, it was more mentally challenging than physically challenging. As what the, do you mean by that? It was a lot to comprehend in my mind what right. was going on. Okay. I had everyone around me telling me what go what was going on, but I had to feel within my soul what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so that was more of the challenge was the mental strength to ignore the noise that's going on around me and to dive deep within my soul where it can be calm and peaceful and nothing around me can shake that calm and peaceful feeling. Wow. Mm. Okay. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, lots of information coming your way. Definitely. An absolute shock being diagnosed. 24 years old in the prime of your life. Definitely. But realizing that if you go within, there's a peaceful place. Yes. There's a quiet place. Definitely. Definitely. Did it take you a long time to find that quiet, peaceful place? That peaceful place happened when I traveled and when I met people that told me their stories and gave me also a different perception on life and how you see life and how you how you go about your way in life you know um yeah john i mean 24 years old as i said prime of his life he gets this and he goes within and he finds that peaceful place are we born that way are there some people who find it easier to go within why do others just retreat into absolute desperation fear wanting to contract or remove themselves and here we've got malcolm i mean i know you've just met one another so so the question that i'm asking is how do we develop that in ourselves how how do we Access a different kind of response 
this will this will sound a little uh, platonic in its nature, but I think we have two aspects to our mind. We have sort of a what I call, as Emmanuel Kant called, the imminent mind or animal mind that wants to avoid pain, seek pleasure, seeks prey, tries to avoid predator, mm-hmm. impulse oriented and instinct oriented. Mm-hmm. Freud called it the id. Mm-hmm. It's the small, immediate gratifying psyche inside, striving for sometimes fantasies and creating nightmares. Unstable, emotional. Mm-hmm. And then we have an inner calling inside, a poised, purposeful presence. Some people call it the state of unconditional love or soul. And when we are in our executive center, our highest brain, our forebrain, and we're living by priority and deep meaning and are doing something purposeful and inspiring in our life, we awaken that part of our brain. It has in the forebrain uh, regions that actually connect and calm down and mitigate and dampen down the volatilities and emotions of the amygdala and this animal brain. Mm-hmm. And this one we have access to. But the, fa- the, past- the fastest way we wake that up is to ask, however, whatever I'm experiencing, no matter what it is, how is it helping me fulfill my mission? How is it helping me fulfill something great in the world? How is it helping me make a contribution? How is it helping me do what I really love in life? If you can find out how whatever's happening is on the way, not in the way, the executive center comes online, the master wakes up. Instead of being a victim of history, we become a master of destiny. Mm-hmm. We take command. And that one brings order and objective reason to our body and allows us to have poise and presence and brings our autonomic nervous system into balance. Mm-hmm. And the epigenetic effects of that are what actually bring the healing. And so the idea that he's found that space is a sign of a master. It's a sign of, of knowing that that is the power and that can transform it. So if he sees everything on the way and mm-hmm. not in the way, mm-hmm. he'll go through the procedures. He'll see it as a challenge. He'll see it as an opportunity at the same time, move through it, mm-hmm. and then he'll inspire millions of other people with his his skills. He'll inspire other people to overcome challenges. Because mm-hmm. he he, he'll have a purpose a, to do that, and that'll, that'll take him through it. I suppose a huge stumbling block is fear. Well, fear is, is, you know, the old adage, the false evidence appearing real. Fear is an assumption that you're going to have more pain and pleasure, more loss and gain, more negative than positive right. in the future through imagination or some sort of sensory experience. Right. And that is simply a perception. Again. Because if you, if you sit on, there's, there's never a Christ without a blessing. There's never a negative without a positive. There is no one-sided magnet. So if you choose to see only one side, then fear will take command and run your, in, run your immune system down and then manifest what you fear. But if you see these as opportunities, you can transform fear into opportunity. Fear how, is a how, feedback. How did fear work with you, Malcolm? What what did you do with that fear? Because I'm sure there must have been that initial. Yes, the the fear. the fear was more not having done enough on Earth. Everyone around me was telling me I was going to die. It was an old generation mindset. People are not um, aware of cancer these days and the modern technology that we have, and you can you can live a good life. You really can have a good life. So it was more of the fear that I hadn't done exactly what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. I'm a big dreamer. Um, I've always had vision. Mm-hmm. And that was my fear. Mm-hmm. Um, more than, than the sickness or the illness. It's like doctor says, suffering, that's, it's part of life. You have to accept that it's part of life. You mm-hmm. cannot run away from it. So mm-hmm. you, you have to, once you just accept it, you're fine. You, you can move on and you can focus on the next goal or something else instead of focusing on the fear the whole time. Okay. So the, so the, an idea that maybe a greater purpose, 
that uh, what were you saying, John? If, if, it's anything, not the if anything, cancer has taught me to be more present, yes. uh, to value my time, right. and um, to be aware of my energy and um, where I put that energy mm-hmm. and where I place that energy. Mm-hmm. Right. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Yeah. The, I always say that everything that goes on in our life is a feedback mechanism to help us, guide us to the most magnificent, authentic, and inspired being that we right. can be. Mm-hmm. And wisdom is seeing that that's what life is offering. Hmm. Okay, so uh, so Malcolm, you you in the space, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a whole lot of people together because there's treatment. There is treatment available, um, but you needed to raise <coughs> funds. Yes. And there you were. You were in po- purpose. You were in action. You were doing, and a whole lot of your friends, a whole lot of models came together, and you had this kind of shaveathon fundraiser. Yes. So, so um, the support, feeling this the well fashion of industry has come through for me, and not just to raise money, but for my life, it helped me realize my identity and how how to express myself. Mm-hmm. Self-expression mm-hmm. is what fashion done to me, mm-hmm. and uh, the fashion industry came through to me. As soon as I was diagnosed with leukemia, the first thing I wanted to do was raise awareness on this. Mm-hmm. And how common it is. It's more common than, than not. And so we had a whole bunch of models come together, shave their heads off, and do videos and images and artwork that we then sold at an art exhibition that, that I hosted with an amazing team, Tim Hume, who was is amazing a photographer and uh, Jessica who owns online Gachette online magazine mm-hmm. was the art director for the shoot um putting the images together l- lighting the whole concept she brought she brought to light so I could have never done it without an amazing team definitely not and it worked and it worked perfectly i mean it, it all happened you got the support you raised funds definitely. and it took you to the next step Definitely. John, it's this whole idea of people wanting to help, this intrinsic, there's this battle, isn't there? Wanting to look after yourself, because, you know, this is a world and we have to look after ourselves and those that we love. Yet we have this connection and this need to connect with other human beings. And as soon as there's a calling, so with Malcolm, it's not just Malcolm doing it, it's everyone calling to a much higher purpose. Well, I think that. With, with helping. That's been shown in, in ecological and sociological development that maximum growth and development occurs at the border of support and challenge. So people who are looking for support attract challenge, but people who are faced with challenge attract support to maintain that balance. You know, if you're a young boy, 10, Mm -hmm. 12 years old, who love your video games, the second you conquer the video game and master the video game, you go to your mom and dad and try to find a way of getting a more advanced game. Mm -hmm. And so... If you're going for an advanced game, it's because you want to tackle the next challenge. People who are purposeful, who are inspired by their life and doing what's meaningful and what they love, are looking forward to challenges to, to, to stretch them, to make right. them find out what they're capable of. Right. And when you're going and pursuing challenges that inspire you, you don't attract challenges that don't. Okay. Because you're pursuing them. Okay. So you're by always pushing yourself to the you're, next. You're, you're embracing challenge, and mm-hmm. that's what leaders do. Mm-hmm. And, and the people who are unwilling to do that, that are wanting to escape challenge, keep attracting challenges. The difference between you stress, which is wellness promoting, is the pursuit of challenges that inspire you. But if you try to avoid them and look for the easy life and to avoid what your calling is, which mm-hmm. is contribution mm-hmm. and, and conquering challenge, you attract distress, which is challenges you don't want. 
So it's wiser to go after the challenges in your life that inspire you. And be able to see whatever happens in your life as a challenge that can inspire you is the wisest way to approach life. So, Malcolm, you're, you know, getting all the models together, shaving their hair, having this wonderful art exhibition, almost put you in a different space on another kind of trajectory. Has it, you know, are you in a whole nother realm in terms of where your life is going? Um, you were modeling, I'm sure you still are, brand yes. ambassador, but has, has it shifted that a lot for you? Definitely. Like I say, it's given me more purpose in, in life. It's, it's helped me be more present with family, with friends, um, with any sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. It's helped me cut out people that are not necessarily for my best interests and, have a more focused life and always follow my guts. Always follow my follow guts. Follow your guts. Yes. You can, you can fail at what you don't want to do. So you might as well do what you want to do. I love what I do and I follow my guts. And that's one thing I can say. You know, I can die a peaceful so you're not man afraid because of that. Now. So you, so it's almost like I'm not afraid. It's like I've always wanted to do X, Y, and Z. Yes. Maybe I had to play it safe, but I've just had a reminder of how short life can be. It's a wake up call and therefore I'm, I'm following my passion. Definitely. It's a reevaluation. Nobody really knows how long we're to live. We have an average. Absolutely, and, John. And, Nobody uh, knows. You know, I, I've seen people who, who live very long lives and some are short lives, but they both contribute to the world. Mm. That's what. Mm. But if you have a cause, you know, the way the brain is set up, you have what is called the telencephalon, which means the end in the brain. You also have what Aristotle called the telos, which is the end in mind, the chief aim, the primary objective, the primary purpose in life. And you also have telomeres, the end and caps of the genes. When you're living by your highest purpose, your telos, you awaken the telencephalon in the brain and you epigenetically add caps to the telomeres to live longer. So as longer, the longer we have our purpose, the bigger our purpose, the greater the magnitude of space and time in our thinking about what we want to accomplish and what the contribution we want to make, the more our brain and physiology will elongate the genetics to make sure we live there. Hmm. We're going to take a break. Every time you make those kind of statements, we have to pause and think on it. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. Nikki Seberini with you. Hope you are enjoying the show and finding it as uh, exciting and illuminating as I am. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Dr. John DeMartini is in the studio with us. Um, we have our warrior, Malcolm Henderson, who's been sharing his story with us. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to be chatting with uh, Malcolm's doctor, Dr. Cleo Solomon, who is a specialist physician at the Charlotte Metlake um, Hospital. She's currently completing a specialization as a medical oncologist, and she works within the Department of Medical Oncology at the Academic Hospital. So, Malcolm, we've been talking about having this purpose. We've been talking about going within um, and just how life has shifted for you, going with your gut, having these meaningful relationships, being in the present moment, being very wary of your time and your energy and how you spend it and who you give it to. But let's go to the treatment. So you have this rare leukemia. Um, you're told that you have it. There's some people telling you that you're not much longer with us. Who then told you that there was a possibility that there could be a donor out there and this could be a life-changing um, treatment for you? Yes. So um, the solution was to get a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, 
very rare to find a donor was what was expressed to me. Um, but it is a possibility. And um, late April, we got the call from Dr. Cleo Solomon saying that one in a hundred thousand chance, but we found you a donor that's wow. proactive, willing, and is an absolute gem. Describe that feeling, please, when you were, when you, the, that's, when you a heard fe- that. that's a feeling of hope. That's a feeling of absolute hope. Just a huge burden lifted off your shoulders. Um, just a breath of fresh air, you know, here you get another chance at life. Another chance. Really. And another human being giving you that chance. How did that feel? It's absolutely another amazing. Another human being. You get good people out there in life, you know, and I, I always tell, my friends or my family, if you find someone in life that, that's a good person, has good intention, that, that loves you, you must, you must look after them. It's very, very, very special. So I, I'm very happy that we have Dr. Cleo Solomon on the line to tell us more. And let's just find out how a bone marrow transplant actually works, looking at the stem cells. So Dr. Solomon, um, good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi. Nice to be here. So maybe you can just give us an idea how these stem cell trans, uh, transplants work. So you've got these stem cells within the bone marrow. Uh, that's right. So the way that it works is in all of our bodies, we have to replace um, cells that get used up or age. Um, and the way we replace those those cells is through um uh, stem cells, mm-hmm. which basically form the original cells that um, divide and um, specialize to form specific cells in our bodies. So the bone marrow is, is specially designed so that, uh, well not designed, but is, uh, has a special function in that it um, produces new cells all the time because we use all of our, all of our, our cells in our bloodstream, like platelets, white blood cells and red blood cells and we use them up all the time and they get old so they have to be replaced on a regular basis um, that function is is disturbed in situations where we have cancers that involve the bone marrow like Narcan's mm-hmm. um, and in specific situations where we do a bone marrow transplant um, what we're looking to do is we're looking to give um, chemotherapy that would um, completely destroy all of the cancer cells, but because those cancer cells affect the bone marrow, um, the bone marrow gets destroyed as well. Mm. So the the patient or the recipients in a bone marrow transplant, um, their their stem cells are destroyed, and subsequently they're replaced by donors. So a donor would be giving their stem cells. Um, to this recipient, which then repopulate the, the recipient's bone marrow. And those donor stem cells and white blood cells then go on to also attack any leukemic cells or malignant cells that might have evaded our chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way we, we help to maintain a remission um, and we also help to continue to produce we help the patient to continue to produce their own um, blood components. And that's basically a the shortened version of hard work. Wow, brilliantly explained. I now understand it. So, Dr. Solomon, let me ask you this question. How do you find a match? Is it, a, is it difficult? I mean, Malcolm was talking about one in a 100,000 match. 
is is it really? I mean, how, how difficult is it to match a donor? Um, he's right. The, it's very difficult because um, we have lots of different um, components of our proteins in our bodies. And so these proteins allow our immune systems to recognize um, our, our own tissues from foreign tissues. So to prevent um, the graft or the donor's stem cells from recognizing um, the recipient like Malcolm, mm. so to prevent those graft cells from actually recognizing his own tissues as foreign, uh, we have to we have to find a very close match. Right. Um, and it's what's made even more difficult is that the match has to be just right. So it has to be that they match closely enough that Malcolm's own tissues are not destroyed by the graft or the donor's stem cells. But at the same time, we have to find it so that it's not, it's, it can't be an exact match because we, we still want the graft to recognize the leukemia cells as being abnormal and destroy those. So in fact, it's, it's, it's probably even harder than Malcolm says. It's right. probably more like one in, you know, a million, but a mm-hmm. hundred thousand is, is correct. And wow. um, so normally um, the best, the best uh, donors actually come from siblings. So siblings usually form the best um, matches for, the, for that purpose, um, with except, the only exception to that being identical twins because they're too closely matched. Okay. Um, so when we're looking at a, at a registry, we're basically trying to look for somebody who has a close enough match that isn't exactly matching to that person, mm-hmm. to the to the recipient, and that's quite a tough thing. It means that the larger the the database is, or the larger the population is that you searching through, the more likely it is that you're going to find matches. Mm. Fortunately, we've got a service. We've got the Sunflower Fund, and we've got the South African National Blood Service. Um, which help us to do that. And these are both very, very high-quality services, and, and we're very fortunate in, that, in this country that we have that. Um, Malcolm's also very fortunate because there was somebody out there who joined the, the registry, and so they were already there on the registry when he needed them. <laughs> and, and very, very fortunately, we were able to find... Um, this person, and at that time, this person was still well. Um, they, you know, things happen to people. They get mm-hmm. sick. Um, you know, donors can can get sick too. They can contract um, HIV, tuberculosis, hepatitis. And Malcolm had this angel who was just mm-hmm. um, absolutely had a clear bill of health, and who was who had joined just because it was the right thing to do. And we were very fortunate because we had the Sunflower Fund who could support this donor to, to join the registry. And we had the South African National Blood Service that could help us to make sure that this was an appropriate match mm-hmm. and do the appropriate testing. So in Malcolm's circumstance, we really were, were very fortunate. Everything came together. It's, it's an incredible story, Dr. That's exactly Solomon. right. Yeah. For you to exactly make right. that phone call must have been so gratifying as a doctor. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you get used to making the opposite discussion right. or to having the opposite discussion where there is no donor. It's very, very common. 
um, you know, particularly in ethnic, you know, if you if you have a, a patient who comes from an ethnic minority group, um, it's much less likely that there'll be a donor out there mm-hmm. because there's much fewer people, you know, in the registry who fall within the same ethnic group. And so you know that when you start talking to them that the odds are stacked. Um, that's not necessarily the case all the time. And, you know, sometimes we have a really good experience and sometimes we don't. Um, it's been, it's been a, a, a very encouraging experience mm-hmm. having somebody who found a match and whose donor was uh, matching. And I must say, like, it does give you faith in, in um, human beings. Absolutely. That humans will do things because it's the right thing to do, that because it's um, the thing that gives somebody else hope. It, you know, it made me feel just a tiny bit better about, mm. about, um, you know, the world in general, Absolutely. which is nice. I mean, I'm sure there's so many people listening right now who are saying, okay, wow, all right, so I can donate blood, but I can also donate stem cells, bone marrow. How do I do it? And is it a very painful process? Uh, what should people do if, if, if they if they want to join the line of, of helping others? Well, I, I think one of the things to remember is that um, joining the registry is really is really not very difficult. It's really easy. Um, even if you don't have money to to donate to the Sunflower Fund or to the South African Bone Marrow Registry, um, you can still join. Um, when you join a registry, they ask, so the, the, the South African Bone Marrow Registry has to do, has to perform specific testing on your blood when you donate, when you join the registry. So when you offer to join the registry, they will pull blood um, from you, and that blood will be tested to, to check your specific tissue type. Mm-hmm. That test costs in the region of two to four thousand rand, depending on how many tests need to be done. Um, and that's that money for that testing um, actually comes from the Sunflower Fund. Mm-hmm. So the the fund is really an amazing thing. It's it's a huge you know without the Sunflower Fund, none of it would be really possible. So they request, in order to try and um, help with the process, um, they request that people joining the registry um, do give a donation. Um, the exact figure of how much they're requesting at this time is not known to me, um, but they ask people that join to give whatever they can so to try and um, fund those that tissue typing. Mm-hmm. If you are unable to fund your own typing, um, that that's not prohibitive, and they will locate funding to do that. So even if you have no money at all to do the tissue typing, they will still um, facilitate you in joining the registry. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've joined the registry, you remain on the registry, and and those your your specifics of your um, tissue type are anonymous. Um, but when when a, a search is is um, performed against a recipient or against a potential recipient, um, some of those that information gets pulled up. It remains completely anonymous unless you are identified as a potential donor, in which case you will be contacted by the registry and asked specific questions like, um, "Are you still well? Um, would you still be willing to donate?" So even at that point. You are entitled to still say no to the um, to to donating your stem cells, 
Um, so you can actually pull out at any time, but it's strongly encouraged that you don't do this once you are identified as a potential donor because you can imagine what kind of heartbreak it is mm. for someone who has maybe two potential donors to suddenly realize that both of these donors have pulled out. It's, yeah. it's absolutely the worst news in the world. And mm. um, so that's very, very important. You know, you must only join if you really are um, willing to, to go through this and try not to pull out at the last minute. Right. Um, you are entitled to, but try not to. And the, 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 the actual harvesting or collection of the stem cells is a fairly straightforward process. Um, what we do is we give a special medication um, called fulgrastin or neupogen to patients who are going to be, um, whose stem cells are going to be collected. Mm-hmm. This medication is a, is a small injection. It's, a, it's injected under the skin. And the patients usually do it from home. Um, so you do it from home for a few days, and then when you come into the hospital, what we do is we put in a special type of drip or a, a central line called a Quinton line, and that line lies in one of your it, one of your large blood vessels, and then your blood is put through a machine very very slowly. You very slowly put it through a machine, and the machine collects all of the stem cells that are lying in the periphery wow. that are sitting in the blood that's, that's going through the machine. And then it pushes all of the blood, the other blood components back. So there is, um, there is some discomfort in the placement of the, the line, mm-hmm. the Quinton line. And the Neupogen does cause, the injections that we give does cause some, some pain in the bones. But um, it's on the whole, it's a very safe procedure. How long does and it last? Associated with very little pain. How long does it take? How long does it take? We often have to do it over a few days. It's, okay. it's quite slow. We do it over four to six hours, and we will repeat it. It's depending on on, the, on how much we collect. Mm. We may need to repeat it, oh, so see. we may need to do it two or three days in a row. Mm. Um. And if there's if there still isn't sufficient after the first session, you may need to have a subsequent session for collection. This is very very unusual. So the majority of people who have no other disease, um, who've who've never been ill before, they they we collect very very easily, and it's usually done within a session or two. Mm. Dr. Solomon, we we've run out of time, but I think you've explained it so well. Thank you very, very much, and and thank you for coming onto the show. And um, I'm hoping we're going to chat again after Malcolm's been for his treatment, and uh, we can go through that and hopefully get more people to register with the Sunflower Fund. So thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Much, much appreciated. Thanks, and thanks again to the support from the Sunflower Fund, South African National Bone Marrow Registry, and from the University of Advances-Rant. Thank you um, Which has supported Malcolm through his treatment. Thank you, Dr. Solomon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And unfortunately, we, we've run out of time, John, Malcolm. We've run out of time. Malcolm, you have to join us again. Yes. You're going for your treatment in September. Yes, I am. We will be thinking of you. Thank we you. want the story. Yes. You are an inspiration. Thank you for inspiring us. Really. And, John, thank you for coming on and also generous with your time. And I love the interplay between the two of you. We've all walked off richer for it. 
Thank you. Appreciate everything. It was great education today. Thank you. And thank you so much for tuning in. It has been a joy. Until next week, you take care. Goodbye.